0: All right, welcome back everybody to another episode of Wet and Dry, the kayaking podcast reporting live out of Mato Grosso, Brazil. If you don't know where that is, don't be shocked. I didn't know either until two weeks ago when we actually flew here. Today with me, David Sodomka, one of my favorite people around. I love to go for missions with him and I'm super stoked to have you today here on the podcast and not just on the trip. David, welcome.
1: Hey Adrian, thanks. Thanks for welcoming me here. (laughs) Uh, Wet and Dry. I'm sweating <laughs> because it's so dry and so hot outside.
0: That's right. I remember when we first looked at, the, at this trip, which kind of was like a last minute thing we can probably talk about later. I was looking at the weather forecast and it showed like 46 degrees, feels like 50. And I was like, no way it's going to be like that. Like, no way. And then we arrived here in Cuiaba and it was kind of like that. huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's weird combination. Such a hot weather and kayaking. But it
0: worked out, right? It works out, yeah. I I will say, leaving the airport, seeing dry farmlands, seeing 48 degrees on the thermostat outside, we were really wondering what this is going to be because obviously we are here towards the end of the dry season. Rain season is kind of just arriving slash yet to arrive as it always goes with these things. So basically, we come to this place in the driest season ever, like planned on it. And that's not usually something you do in kayaking. But I will say... Over the last few weeks, definitely found some nice stuff, we found some rivers flowing through this country, and it's been pretty sick.
1: It's impressive to see there is still some place on the planet where the water is coming from, from the underground, like how it is, you know, based from uh, underwater water coming to the rivers. I love that. Love to see it.
0: That's true. Actually... I think the only other place where I experienced that might be the Rio Oro in Mexico, and a little bit the Little White, where you have these underground sources. Other than that, we, we don't much have. But that, this then.
1: is different scale. Here is way bigger. the The, the rivers they having water, even though it's super dry, are so much bigger than anything else we know from the jungle.
0: That's true. Everything in Brazil feels bigger. Distances feel bigger. Driving a thousand kilometers to a waterfall seems normal according to the locals. Uh, seeing farmlands with tens of thousands of hectares is totally normal. And fun fact, so basically whenever you drive and you don't see anything else rather than dry farmlands, it usually means there's a waterfall close by.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, horizon line 50 kilometers ahead and yeah, it's going to be a waterfall (laughs) here, beautiful.
0: That's so funny. Definitely a special experience and something different to all of the other travels. Talking about travels, you're one of the most committed people I know in kayaking with traveling, meaning going for back-to-back trips, visiting new countries year after year, and always searching for the new thing, which obviously works out great because I'm on that same agenda and I love to do that. Um, maybe let's jump back and talk about your kayaking routes because I think they're a little, little bit different compared to most people who are currently traveling the planet for kayaking, and I find that quite interesting.
1: Basically, I don't have a kayaking roots like normal other kayakers around. <clears throat> I start super late on uni, mm-hmm. very late. Uh, I took a basically course to go to paddle on a whitewater. I had no idea about, and then I realized, wow, well, it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I like that. I love uh, moving water, and I loved suffering on the beginning, swimming so much, and it was hard work, and I loved hard work, and I love when it hurts and uh, a lot of pain. <laughs> like, oh yeah uh, I, I want to do this sport and mm. then I started I put so much energy in on the beginning like crazy and uh, because I start too late mm-hmm. <coughs> or too late it's maybe not too late it's a good example it's never too late but uh, for sure, normally starting when you are 20 it's not the best age to achieve like the be the, the best in, the, in this sport mm-hmm. <coughs> and uh, then I push myself to to travel as much as possible from very beginning. It was yeah. difficult for me in, to, because I, I didn't get into any club in, in Prague in Czech. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, pretty fast. I met some people, they they went to to the Alps for kayaking and I started traveling to the Alps and kayaking as much as possible over weekends, lower, lo- longer weekends. And, and, that, and then after a couple of years, I felt like, oh yeah, okay. It's beautiful. Europe is beautiful, but I would love to see more than just the Europe.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's basically what you've been doing ever since. I find it quite interesting that, like, picking up a sport as kayaking in, in Czech is is probably something you would usually expect to go down that like club route, going into a slalom course or going to slalom courses and ending up in a slalom kayak, which is because it's a big national sport there, right? Yeah,
1: slalom kayak in Czech Republic. That's the, you know, one of the top <clears throat> top sport for Czech people. And there are the best uh, slalom peddlers out there. For yeah.
0: sure. I mean that might feel super normal for you, but like in Germany, when I was growing up and I would tell people I'm a kayaker, first they would think that I'm a rower, then they would think I'm like, no, 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 I, I look I look where I go. Then they would maybe think I sit in these want to sit on tops on the ocean. I was like, no, 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 on a the river. Then they maybe think about like Flat water kayaking and maybe eventually, hopefully they would even know what a slalom kayak is, but it's really not present in the mind of people in Germany at all. Whereas in Czech you have like a great team, great like amount of people doing it, good funding and great results in that sport, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. But also people like outside of this sport, they didn't know about slalom pedaling before Štěpanka Hilgertova, like super successful woman in slalom pedaling and mm-hmm. the biggest person, Vávra like Definitely. Yeah. He brought it to TV, like with this uh-huh. huge achievement on Olympics. And since that time, I think people like starting realizing, oh, this is slalom. And, uh, like so many people coming to see the World Cup in Troja in Prague.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know Vavra was on oh, yeah. the forefront a, of making definitely, that
1: big. I would say the biggest or the,
0: the beginning
1: of a new era of a, like a mixing also because Vavra, obviously, he did a slalom paddling. He's still doing that and uh, started mixing it with the creaking, like yeah. sitting in a plastic kayak, which was not really a favorite for other paddlers in the in Czech Republic on slalom course. Like, oh, no way, no way. I'm not going to pedal creek boat ever. Wavra yeah, like a mix it and bring a new stream, I would say.
0: Uh, yeah, I remember like two two situations which showed that really well. One, when he did that video project on the Kaytuna together with Mike where they creek and saloon boats. And then also one of my favorite moments ever in saloon kayaking when Wavra threw a brown claw in Olympics just at the last gate or something. Just absolutely amazing move i love that so much and that's cool that i wasn't I really wasn't aware that wavra was that generation to break up those boundaries yeah and i remember
1: about, uh it's been a long time ago and we paddled i pedaled together with wavra first time in one czech river which is forbidden strictly forbidden <laughs> in the national park and um he was kind of loose uh or lost on the on the river like didn't mm-hmm. really know how to go down like uh how to say um not the the Because he's not used to choosing lines mm-hmm. on the white water, yeah, so he was a little bit lost. But then he just pulled two strokes and <laughs> phew, reacts so fast. And uh, that was impressive to see and also super fun.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. So then going back to your travels, basically pretty early on you decided, okay, I like this kayaking thing, but I also want to go travel and then you mix these two things. Do you remember your first international trip? Because I don't even know where you first went.
1: Ooh. Uh, what was that? I think we went first time to Indonesia with Mira. Nice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was fun. We kind of didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but actually, we did pretty cool stuff. We, we did a couple of first descents, mm-hmm. like rivers, not really waterfalls. So maybe some small waterfalls, but nothing super special. But uh, there was my first, like a jungle thing and then i realized okay jungle is completely next level compared to what we know from the europe how beautiful but also dangerous is that i remember we put on one on one river that was obviously like a first d and uh, locals uh there was some accident some locals they just drowned on that river and uh, we got the support from army we got like six big trucks they were joining our mission and drive us to the Putin in in the jungle set up a big tents and (laughs) cook for us it was insane and then we put on this jungle river paddling behind two corners and there were monkeys jumping from one side of the river to the other like i don't know 50 meters above the the river there was incredible and then we also realized once we tried to scout something like oh damn that's pretty bad to not having machete in (laughs) the jungle so since that time I don't go to the jungle without machete.
0: Yes, I'm very aware of this. Wherever we land, first things first, get the SIM card, get the machete, and then we can think about anything else. And I have to say, it has been proven many times that the machete is a nice thing to have, for sure. Yeah, your life relies on this, like, no yeah. easy.
1: Yeah, so Indonesia, I think, was first and then uh i realized oh yeah i love this then i went first time to india <laughs> to ladakh to the, this little tibet the plateau yeah and i fell in love in india and then i've been there again 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 and yeah with india i started like okay and uh on my first trip to india <clears throat> I was filming. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that filming, and then at a, some point, I realized like, oh my God, it's so much work for to do something nice for filming, and then oh, maybe taking photos is easier <laughs> so basically that's how it starts,
0: okay, interesting, so basically, there was no photography before kayaking. photography came throughout kayaking or.
1: Like what what and, yeah. made
0: you pick up a camera? Like what was that? This yeah.
1: idea to go to India and do some film. Mm-hmm. And actually we did some small, pretty nice film. And uh yeah, uh I wanted to switch into taking photos because it was so much work to do it just one person of filming mm-hmm. and create something what is nice, interesting. And uh I like more when it's just documentary style because taking photos, like documenting what is happening, it's I would say for me is easier and then like a more, the, the trip is more fluent than if you really want to create like a really high quality of filming, then sometimes you kind of pretend or acting or yeah, starting yeah. to do like, okay, this is a little bit of theater.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so it's like you, you, do, you kind of follow the real storyline rather than coming up with exactly. one in front and trying to make that fit, Yeah, which, which I see. Would that mean that like some like journalistic work for photos would be interesting to you ever like kind of documenting events or is it pretty focused on kayaking Uh,
1: yeah i always had some ideas in my mind maybe to go to bad places on the planet dangerous spots but Mm -hmm. never really did anything i just i was just focusing for this kayaking
0: yeah yeah you've been doing that for the last how many years is that now 10 15 yeah i think this style of life i have for 12 years now Epic. That is so <laughs> epic. And it's funny because for me it's going to be 10 years coming up now. I'm on my 10th year traveling and doing the same thing. But we all oh, paths really haven't crossed until, I guess, two years ago, three years ago, two years ago, two years yeah. ago, yeah. when we quickly met on Socha and then again kind of randomly ended up going to Kyrgyzstan and to the Sarijas together. After we were both looking for a trip to do around the same time, we're like just chatting on Facebook and found ourselves in Bishkek, huh?
1: Yeah, it's a very natural, organic thing. Once there are people out there and they want to do basically the same, they have a lot of time, they just need to pick the place and choose the place and then like, yeah, you, you just bump to each other and that's what basically happened yeah. to us here yeah, we bump to each other
0: well you bump into each other and then it works out or sometimes it doesn't work out luckily in our case i would say it worked out and we had a beautiful trip in, in kingistan together lots of love shared lots of uh suffering also together as you said you love that it's always part of a mission often part of a mission from a few and i appreciate that very much it's good to work for these things and it's just a different way of i guess appreciating the river and the white water, when you have worked a little bit to get there. Um, at the same time, you love kayaking, I love kayaking. And for me, at least, there's definitely something to be said about going on a savage trip, but then also going back somewhere to a familiar place where you know I'm just going to go kayak every day in this place. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to bring a camera. I'm just going to be on the river. I mean, for you, there are a few places like that in the world. I would say you spend a lot of time on Nummel.slogan in Norway. You spend. From the time on Fuda. Um, Basically, anywhere in Norway, I relax.
1: That's a place where you don't care about how oh, did I lock my car or not. You mm-hmm. just don't care. Yeah. You leave your car in, uh, car key inside of a car. And uh, that's the time of the year when I relax from uh, May to whatever, end of summer yeah. <clears throat> in Norway. And also Fuda uh, lefuyas I love that place. I love to be there. And uh, I always need... Whenever I go to any kind of mission, I need to come back for these places. Just relax and don't take my camera in my hands. Okay, now just enjoy pedaling.
0: I think also that's kind of how creativity works. Like You need to go hard and then also you need to ease out the mind to be able to find new ideas. And I mean, coming from my side, I think one of the biggest special points of your pictures is the fact that you... You are looking for that extra mile to go to find that unique angle. I have never seen you a picture of any rapid where a person has taken that picture before, basically. You know, like always, I think from my side, it always looks like you're trying to find a unique perspective, something new, something different. And obviously, I think, like for me, it's that with filming, I can't always do that. You know, you need the mind to be focused and, and think, but also like let go and give it some room to breathe because creativity is not something you can force i believe it It needs to i don't know it just sparks in your head kind of
1: yeah exactly and uh it works also together uh with my personality i love to get to the most difficult spots for taking the photo on the river i love it mm-hmm. i don't know why I just <laughs> uh of course sometimes it's really nice when it's beautiful viewpoint without any hard work to get there sometimes it's nice but then also like come on everybody will take a photo Mm -hmm. from here you need to find something different and also depends on what you what you're shooting what is the photo of like what what is there and uh, there are some rules when uh, uh, if you want to take a photo of a like small waterfall and you want to show that it maybe looks bigger. Of course, you cannot take the photo from the lip or really from straight in front of the waterfall. Mm -hmm. It's nicer when you go down below the waterfall and as close as possible. So yeah, there there are many, many, many challenging things on uh, how to make that more interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's just talking photo cameras. And then now over the last few years, Drone filming and especially drone photography has been an entirely new universe with that.
1: Yeah, it uh, it brings obviously a different perspective, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me it was definitely, there was a, some breakpoint when I was a little bit tired of uh, taking photos and didn't have so much, uh, like, um, how to say, something that would kick me. Like, like come on. Oh, and and the, I was losing a drive a little bit, yeah, sure. When and was that? Basically when the, the drones became kind of popular. Mm-hmm. Then I got the drone in my hands like, oh, wow, this is epic. That's beautiful that's <laughs> something new. But also, yeah, uh, I was a lot into drone flying and taking photos with that. But then you also realize, OK, it's cool that's very interesting perspective but it's still drone. it's still like very wide lens and uh, i got back to the cameras like okay the camera shots are still the main one if i should choose of course if you go to the huge river mm-hmm. that brings you so much more than just the camera normal but uh, if i would be like to choose normal camera over drone or drone over camera i would Go for a normal camera. Yeah. That's but it, very important for me is a mix of that, actually.
0: Yeah, kind of both worlds. Yeah. yeah, for me, like, it's always when, like, a new technology comes out, it's like a new perspective. I mm-hmm. remember back in the day when GoPros first became a thing and I saw the first, like, just GoPro on a head kind of footage. I was like, this is the sickest angle ever. I don't need to see anything else ever again. This is it. And then, obviously, you grow incredibly tired of it really yeah. quick and then the same happened for slow motion when first slow-mo cameras were a thing on the river. I was like, everything needs to be in slow motion, ideally with dubstep. And then you grow tired of that. And then the drones came out and I was like, this is the sickest thing ever. And now I I believe, again, it's it's not the ultimate solution. And as you say in the mix, it's cool. But you still need to work to create like a cool angle when you fly the drone. It's not just that top over shot and just fire <clears> the, <throat> the the button and then take a picture. Like for me, it's it's still like it's a tool just as much as a camera it's used in different ways but you still have to put the work into it in order to create that unique perspective that that special shot and yeah it's interesting how that technology influences well
1: all. i uh, my photos are mostly showing the the place where the wild water is the, the landscape mm. and that's kind of easier with a drone and what i'm doing right now is a uh, Always taking photo with the camera, and in another hand, I have a remote control and taking the photo with the drone at the same time. So it's kind of win-win. You know, I have one extra photo, which is the photo of the same thing happening, and it's completely different perspective. So I like this combination.
0: Not without no reason, your nickname is the Czech multi-tool, <laughs> because you will see David in the middle of the jungle. Hacking away with the machete, carrying a drone, <laughs> carrying a camera, making sure that all these angles are covered. It's a beautiful thing about it. Like you're a great expedition partner because basically you cover all the bases. You love savage stuff. You're well with ropes. Good to find ways. Good in taking media. Like the Czech multi tool is, I think, one of the best fitting nicknames. I yeah, but heard.
1: I'm also Czech and I can complain. You know, that's uh... you love to complain, <laughs> and I'm
0: sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm kind of making it a game that. Every time you say like a statement, I'm just kind of waiting <laughs> for the complaint to come. <laughs> yeah. And I think we play it on a pretty fun level, but that's normal. But it's not always just complaint.
1: It's, uh, you know, bringing a topic. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, let's talk
0: about this. And it's not always complaining. It's just <laughs> commenting. Sparking, sparking yeah. the conversation. No, I will say I learned many, many things from you. For example, um, I like your approach, for example, of people, you know, like, being really honest and showing sympathy towards people you like and kind of going a bit of the opposite route than what you experience from, unfortunately, many American people, which is just a different different culture. And I was completely kind of like taken by that American approach because I spent so much time with Americans. And then seeing you just being this incredible, brutally honest person For me, was eye opening. Was like, yeah, it makes so much sense. Why haven't I thought about this before? It's for sure something I learned from you. Yeah, but very
1: often it's like, oh, who the hell is this guy? What is he saying? Come on. You know,
0: sometimes, uh, yeah, I'm
1: I'm I'm hard on people.
0: We need that, though. We need that. I think the mix makes it, and I'm very appreciative (laughs) that you are honest towards people and that when they're doing good things, they will you will let them know they're doing good things such as our homie little john here in brazil crushing the trip by the way we're currently kayaking with two brazilian kayakers yilton and john nicknamed little john but i think we should call him big john amazing guys look after us really well and they got their stuff covered and you let them know but also when they when somebody would fuck up you would also definitely let them know that is not the right thing to do. <laughs> Such as proven in many situations, driving through the mud in India, loading kayaks in Kenya, you name it. <laughs> Beautiful situations. Yeah, Little
1: John, he's a, he's a hero for me right now. Actually, probably the nicest person I met in last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Such a good, humbled, really nice kayaker.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm honestly also very impressed. Like being in mm-hmm. Brazil right now. Not having heard much before of kayaking here. Obviously, Pedro Olivia Stokesbury, Chris Kerbuleig, and a few other guys were here like 10, 15 years ago and ran a lot of big stuff, honestly, now that I see it. But it just wasn't on my radar and talking to other like other people and friends. Nobody really was thinking about Brazil that much. Why not? I don't know.
1: Oh well, maybe it's because oh, you run this waterfall, yes, you want to run an, another one, yeah, but it's seven hours away from here. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> it's a reason. 47 degrees and the AC doesn't work. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it's easy. And as kind of chasing waterfalls go, the ratio of time spent in the car and things not being runnable versus actually going down a waterfall, you can't think about this because that ratio does not check out at all. But then yet somehow at the end, it's all worth it. Um, But just in general, I mean, this country is so huge. I didn't realize this before. I feel a little bit stupid about that. There's so many rivers and they kind of seem to have their own community of kayakers, which don't seem to be too connected to the international people of kayaking.
1: Yeah, it's big. And uh, I have my friend, He's he's living in Sao Paulo for 20 years. And he also told me... Uh, it might be like more closed community and Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's also because people don't really come here.
0: Yeah, I mean the language might be a thing but...
1: Yeah, it's not Spanish and Portuguese it sounds so strange.
0: It's very different, definitely. I thought I would be okay with some rata Spanish and English. I am not okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know how to say beer and say thank you. That's...
0: Obrigado, obrigado, jefe. That gets you to most places. But I have to say... In general, people in Monte Grosso are incredibly welcoming. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, we've been rocking up to these farms at some takeouts of where people have never even seen kayakers, I'm sure, or maybe like once in the last 10 years. And if I was going to be in the US, I would be scared to get shot by some farmer. And here they offer you dinner, lunch, they show you their things, they open, offer you to stay in such a natural and welcoming way that I'm really like very impressed with this place.
1: I think we're gonna spend a lot of time here in the future.
0: I have this assumption too that Brazil does not see us the last time here. I mean obviously, plans are being made right now, and it's such a beauty that you have dry season, you have wet season, you have many different states, and kind of every state has their own little thing going on and I mean we're learning much from these boys talking about climate zones that they have like i think all climate zones in one country or something like that and Some are like in the tropical zone, the like weather scheme. Others are completely opposite and it's just crazy. Like It seems like you can probably spend a lifetime out here, explore rivers and still not be done with it.
1: I'm not sure if there is a part of Brazil where it's cold.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. I I wouldn't know where. That
1: would kill me to be here all year round just uh, sweating all the time. We we got used to it for sure, Mm -hmm. way more, but... Still, 45 degrees is 45 degrees.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to talk that factor away. 45 degrees is 45 degrees. I'm going back to the Zam next month, and it's going to feel so weird to come to the Zambezi, and it's going to feel... I'm not going to say it's going to feel colder, but it's going to feel equally yeah. warm as it has been the month before. I'm very interested to see that. But
1: Yeah, but in our traveling and kayaking, we love that contrast. Like, okay. After some time, go. I go to Chile, I'm going to go to a place where it's uh, normal for me. Then coming back, it's perfect.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. For me, it's also the contrast with kayaking. Like, you know, right now, obviously, we're looking for first descents or things which haven't been run that much. And it's a lot of driving and not that much time spent on the river. We're not kayaking every day because we just have to drive these huge distances. So I'm very much looking forward for next month to be on the ZAM and just paddle every day. But also have that contrast from now, it's like actually creaking and free fall and like lots of thinking, considering making a decision and traveling. And then next month I'll just be in one place and just take my my river runner and just kayak, no stress. I think that contrast also kind of keeps me going. Otherwise, I feel like I would burn out after a little bit if I just do one very specific thing in kayaking, it would get boring to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Here... A lot of traveling, not a lot of kayaking. And then I go to Santiago for (laughs) spending a week, 10 days or Uh something, have a fun time. (laughs) Sounds (laughs) good. (laughs) Then again, start rolling for kayaking. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Because you basically embarked on a six month road trip in South America. Now, last year you bought a car here and you have a return ticket out of Cuiaba, Brazil, (laughs) end of May. so maybe let's talk about that what's your goal in the next 10 months six months i'm aware that we can't call it a plan yet but what's something you're looking for in these six months
1: uh, basically i love to see whatever is new mm-hmm. any new place any new rivers any new people it's and that, that's happening right now for me here in brazil and then i've mm-hmm. I, I really like it, so I'm pretty sure I'm I will come back here and spending some time.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh the goal for me is always to bring some interesting content. Yeah, because now it's also kind of work for me. I I need to if I want to keep doing this stuff for next whatever time, I still need to have that content and I love it. Mm-hmm. And that's also what drives me like doing this stuff kind of hard and not really going to do normal work with kayaking just be focusing on something interesting and new
0: yeah and i mean what the listeners maybe don't know david is a fully certified studied person compared to most other of us kayak bums. so you could definitely just choose an office job and make great money over this <laughs> lifestyle but you luckily did not <laughs> yeah
1: but uh you know i'm Czech, so i would not say it's a great money in this uh, civil engineering in Czech, what I was used doing a lot before I started doing this. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I can basically decide from day to day to do that back again. But I'm not sure if I can sit in a chair in an office for eight hours and be focused on uh, looking at the autocad. Like, oh no, probably.
0: Uh, they'll definitely look at you in a weird way if you bring your machete to work. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's interesting for me also, like, Once that change happened from kayaking being a thing I just wanted to do and I would have to work for, kind of like going back to Germany, working on the building side, making money in order to pay for the next trip and then go and kind of call that free time vacation, whatever, to like making that switch of, hey, now I'm able to go kayaking full time. And that's what's paying the rent type thing. And I think it's a very interesting process because definitely you have to, at least for me, I had to rethink Um, Motivations, you know, like as stupid as it sounds, but I feel like as soon as something becomes work, the risk is pretty big of you not enjoying it anymore as it was before and you find ways around it. For example, I remember when I was trying to be a raft guide and then luckily, luckily from my good friend Josh Nielsen got the tip that if I really want to do well in kayaking, I was like 16 back then, I really should not become a raft guide because if you're going to work on the water six days a week, are you really going to use that off day to then go? kayaking on the water again or you just want to chill out and for whatever reason that's kind of clicked with me and i did not become a rough guide and now i'm really thankful because i'm knowing myself i don't think i would be able to kayak as fired up as i am for kayaking right now if my work would be on the river as a rough guide
1: that's absolutely true and i can see it actually around a lot in norway when i spend all the summer and their guys, they work on the river and very often, ah, I'm tired today. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't want to come. And that's <coughs> the maybe very little thing, but uh, yeah, it's very important. And for me, the, that's the same. I never wanted to work on, on the river. Sometimes I, I've worked in a canyon, like a canyoning, but uh, that's completely different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I, I still want to keep river for me, like a fun, not not really a work. And then after I feel it's the fun, then it brings me like a good content and quality stuff.
0: That's, yeah, that's the way to make it good for sure. But for example, like traveling changed for me, you know, from me being stoked that my plane is going to leave in four days to a new destination and already being packed up two days before to now where I'm like, oh, fuck, tomorrow I have to fly so long again don't want to pack right now, don't need to deal with this bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Um, that, for example, definitely changed and, I, and I'm aware of it and I try to remind myself, you know, hey, well, easy, easy. 12-year-old Adrian would be super stoked right now to be able to go fly somewhere, to go kayaking. So let's take a step back and appreciate it. But I, I have to be careful to not like take it for granted and just be like, ah, this annoying travel stuff. Now I'm in the heat and I'm sweating. Like it's, for me, I think it's a very fine line.
1: Yeah, what changed for me is a uh, couple of years ago, there was no problem to fly from Asia to uh, South America for 73 hours traveling. Oh, God. And today, <laughs> I, oh, no. Uh, oh no, no. I have to sleep and I have to sleep in a bed. I don't want to sleep at the airport on uh, the mattress. Uh, <laughs> no, so yeah, uh, some level of comfort is uh, needed for me.
0: Uh, you ripped some hideous travels oh. this year. Remember when we were flying to Santo Domingo in March earlier this year for a project? You were where were you before? I flew from Bolivia, and uh,
1: that was the first time in my life. I, I slept somewhere at the airport in these uh, like a boxes hotel. Yeah, what these is it? these
0: it, sleeping pots. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's just a. Uh, it's not even a room. It, it's like these, uh, like very small box, and for smaller people than we are (laughs) so you cannot really 100% lie there but it's way better than being on the airport outside. and you pay it by like hour and hour that was funny so i tried it and (laughs) it was it was fun better than be seven hours at the airport normally but where was that
0: in bolivia or mexico no
1: no no it was somewhere on the way i think in colombia
0: Ah, okay because i did the same for the first time this year in mexico city And I was, it felt really weird. It reminded me a bit of Matrix because you go Mm. into this like dark room and there's these like small holes you kind of crawl into. Everything is blinking and it's quiet and weird. And then you're in your little pot type thing and you can't really move, but at least you're lying. Weird experience, but I will say I also, I'll take it over trying to sleep on a stupid chair somewhere, always getting woken up by some, I don't know, person walking past or stuff like that. I'll take it. For now, I'll take it. I'm hoping to upgrade soon to an actual hotel room, but we'll see how that's going to go.
1: <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, it's a part of our traveling.
0: 100%. That's all right. Yeah, but then, I don't know, like going kayaking in Asia, Nepal, for example, and like doing these long shuttles of a bus, it's honestly breaking me more than the kayaking. Like, I just don't fit anymore. It's, I'm too tall and I, I, I don't know, I'm <laughs> not going to say I'm too old, but... If I kayak for three days on the river and then take a two-day bus ride back, I need a rest day because of the bus ride, not because of the kayaking. It's savage to me.
1: Yeah, it's savage. Savage. We took a bus from takeout of Humla Karnali to Kathmandu, and it was 32 hours, like really bad. (laughs) So stinky, like (laughs) incredibly. But we all had a seat, even though I was sitting on the ground because it was... uh, a little bit colder.
0: Uh huh. Oh yeah, because it was hot too. <clears throat> and
1: then, like a sleeping at night, kind of sleeping. Mm-hmm. I thought it was crazy bad. And then we met uh, other guys in Katmandu, uh, in Kathmandu. They they traveled from uh, Tuliberry, and they said, "Yeah, our bus was 37 hours, no. and we even didn't have a seat. No, <laughs> so like okay, <laughs> well, it <laughs>
0: can be worse. Yeah, I remember driving from the Sankosi takeout back towards Kathmandu. Rain season, it was dripping into the bus. Raindrops were going onto the power outlets, creating some kind of sparks. And it was like a 20-hour something ride. Eventually, we had some drunken soldiers enter the uh, bus on their way back to Kathmandu to party or something. There were speakers which were broken, yet still played music on full volume. It was it was wild. And I was just like, okay, I can do this one time and then I need a break. And then I haven't been back since.
1: <laughs> I'm so surprised because when I've been in Nepal before, like eight years ago and mm-hmm. now, uh, the main connection, Kathmandu-Pokhara, mm-hmm. didn't change it all into being better. It's just so terrible road. How is that possible? Such a touristic place and yeah. so many people travel there. It's so busy, but the road is still <laughs> super bad. When I compare it to Pakistan, the progress of like building the roads is way better.
0: Yeah, maybe let's talk about your love to Pakistan because I think you're one of the biggest advocators to go to the Indus and go to Rondo Gorge. You love that place. You've been many times. You also made this, I think, quite converse- controversial mm-hmm. comment that Rondo is big class four. And I think many people have disagreed with that.
1: What the <laughs> including <hell no>. myself. <laughs> I, I never said it's big class four.
0: I feel like you said something along those lines. It can be a class four trip or something like that.
1: Well, the Rondo Canyon has, I would say, 190 rapids. Mm-hmm. And 10 of them are huge. Mm-hmm. Another six of them are really big. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them are like uh, super good. Bywater water for so many people. But yeah, Rondo Canyon has monster, big monster rapids. Like, of course, very committing and the hardest bywater water what do you find today? But I think so. there is a, a lot of really quality, good kayaking, just not the hardest on the planet. Yeah. But definitely, I would not no say it's <laughs> class four. And also, another thing is, when you go paddle the Rondo Canyon, you do it in a... The lowest, not the lowest, but on the low flow of Indus. Normally in the summer, it's 20,000 cumecs, but you go there like at this time of the year in October, November, and that's 500, 600. Mm. And that means all those rapids are kind of separated with uh, pretty big pools. True. So it's kind of, it is pool drop. So it's big difference if you have... Kilometer long big rapid, or if it's one rapid and then it's a pool. Of course, it's not always, but most of the time it is.
0: Yeah. And then also, I guess, coming back for like a second or third time, you're kind of aware of what's next and what to do. Because I remember when I went there in 2017, nobody of us knew the river really well, and it felt like a w- bit of an in between level. And very often, you know, just to scout the next one, you would do like a big ferry, take the last eddy, take a look, and then it turns out, okay, I should have been on the exactly other side of the river. And that way you have to then ferry hard again to just get to the open point. And maybe that's what made it feel so hard. Um, But I'm really looking forward to go back and experience that again, ideally with you next year or something. Because, yeah, you, you love that place and you have so many good stories and people around there. And seems like a good place for you. Yeah,
1: Pakistan, these beautiful people yeah. are the most, one of the most beautiful people you can meet anywhere. Mm-hmm. I love that place.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I was so surprised. I think it was one of the first countries I went to, which have like a bad reputation in the Western world. And then you go there and you just realize how thankful people are that you as a Western person give their country a chance to visit and, and actually experience it, what it's like. I'm not going to say there's nothing going wrong, I'm sure there is. But for my time there, all I basically came across was really heartful people who were very happy to basically have you there and enjoy their country, what they can offer to you.
1: Yeah, I can bring uh, the my experience. When I was there first time I met in one of the hotels in uh, Skardu, I met a woman. 55 years old woman and uh she travels into pakistan for last 20 years and she started to uh, run a very little hospital deep in the mountains because she loved that country and she actually was a part of a expedition czech expedition in 1972 when People run the lower canyon of the Indus from Gilgit down on a huge inflatable boat, like they call it Matilda. That was a completely different style of uh, expedition than how it is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a book about it, and it's super impressive. But anyway, she was a part of this, and uh, so she traveled to Pakistan like very long time ago, starting very long time ago, and she's seen how miserable conditions for people are in the mountains for if you get just normal flu or like a very normal like basic, disease. basic yeah and uh she started to organize little hospital in the mountains it like immediately it it, it became way better for kids because she said every year like a 15 kids died over the winter because they just don't have antibiotics wow and wow. then uh, so she she's traveling to Pakistan since that time every year for three four months, and she told me she never been part of any like she never had any bad experience in mm-hmm. Pakistan ever. But we're talking about mountains, so that's completely different.
0: That's what I want to say. I'm not going to say everything is sweet and no worries. I'm sure as with any country in a big city, there is problems and there are problematic areas. But for our experience in that very limited area around Gilgit. Skardu, it seems to be an amazing place and I really, really want to go back. I remember waking up in Skardu after arriving the next the first morning and you get that first look onto the flatlands of the Indus with the big mountains in the background. The sun is just going up, the air is like cold and crisp. I don't know why, but it was such an impressive moment for me. I really want to experience again. Especially now that we're sitting in 45 degrees. It seems like a <laughs> good oh, yeah, thing to do. <laughs> come
1: to a cold place. Yeah. Yeah. Indus Pakistan is a very special place. I special. agree. But huge mountains, huge river. So that's the, the really hard white water.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see. So Pakistan obviously went through some floods in the last year or two. There have to be quite some changes in Rondo, I would assume. There,
1: there, there was a flood. But basically there is every year a flood. Okay, true. <laughs> on, on <laughs> the Indos, but also the, the canyon... Where is it? Uh, the river has pretty big gradient, so the water goes so fast. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really affect the like the villages in the canyon. So they have a floods down in the flatlands that that was really bad recently. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I remember we went there once after flood and what I remember just one rapid really changed.
0: Other than that, And that's, that's so
1: it. weird because I usually don't remember Rapids, but I remember Rondo Canyon so good. I don't know how is that possible. Yeah,
0: you're leading crews down the Rondo and, well, yeah, definitely telling them this is that, this is where to go. This is actually not that bad. This is actually that bad. So, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, let's let's make it happen next year. I really, really want to go back. And obviously, now we're just talking about one river in a country, which, again, is pretty damn big with the biggest mountain range in the world part of it so there has to be more and there is more. Well, uh, <clears throat> the,
1: the section of Hindus from Gilgit down, mm-hmm. people don't really do that and uh, that was the section that these Czech people did the Death Strand in 1972. Yeah. Like we, we did it a couple of years ago and it's so beautiful and there is still one monster big rapid nobody ever paddled. Mm-hmm. Uh, same as uh, the section from the Indian border to Skardu. That's not like also peddled that often. But may- maybe we were just, I-, I don't know. I don't know how many people
0: paddle Because yeah. it is one of your dreams, right? To paddle the Indus, basically. I remember you telling me that you want to paddle That's the Indus. <laughs> as long as possible as the river allows. Obviously, yeah, I, we have some border issues. Actually, I tried
1: like for... Couple of years Mm -hmm. to to get uh, also to China to pedal that part in in the China of Indus, Mm -hmm. which is basically flat but very high altitude and beautiful probably. Mm -hmm. But then it's uh, a lot of a lot of kayaking in uh, in India. Yeah, and I would say on the Indus or not, I would say I know on the Indus you can have thousand kilometers of the of the wild water. You start. 4200 meters high and you finish 500 meters and that's or like 350 Yeah, that's impressive that's impressive that's a
0: long way for river to flow for sure that's crazy just a different scale we don't deal with that in europe or uh, north america really ever well i
1: don't know north america very well but
0: yeah there's nothing As i mean the longest thing you can do is probably the grand canyon i guess maybe something in canada sticking but then it flattens out into the ocean I don't know, maybe there's something, but this is again just very shallow cooked half-knowledge again. <laughs> well, David, for the end, I would love to talk with you about your calendars, because that's a big thing for you. You put a lot of work and love into these things, compiling the best shots from the entire year into this beautiful I would gonna i would, I will call it art actually, into this beautiful piece of paper. Um basically showcasing kayaking all over the globe in very unique ways and that's also how you make a living
1: i love when the photo is printed mm-hmm. because in these days instagram it's like yeah it's nice but a print is print and yeah. i love that and uh, i started actually nine years ago print my photos into calendar and now it's uh, ninth year and uh, i don't know how it's possible but every year it's better and, better. and <laughs> I know already for the next year, it's going to be even crazier because we did this crazy kayaking in the Arctic. So yeah, the, my calendar is my kit. I love it, especially when I go to the print house and I see all this printed on a, on a, on a paper, like one and a half ton of paper it's there and you see all these photos and actually I always assemble my calendar with my hands. Except this year. This is the first time I don't do that by myself, but always I went there and need to put it together by myself at night. That was also pretty cool. But since it's like my child, then I I enjoy that.
0: I can I mean and it shows, like as you said, with, with social, like it kinda all feels like fast consumption, fast fashion. Photos seem to work less and less on social. It's all about a three second video clip with some funky music behind and Then you have this polar opposite of something you can actually touch with your hand. You can kind of smell it and feel it and have it there as like a, you know, as like something which is is not just a few seconds of attention. You look at it every time. And I personally believe the pictures you have in those calendars offer that especially that you look at them and then you look at them again and you will see a different detail about, I don't know, like a cool rock formation, a nice structure in the jungle here, a bird up there. Like... It's just something you you kind of keep coming back, looking at it over and over again, which for me kinda just tells me, okay, somebody put time and love and passion into this project to create these calendars.
1: It's beautiful to see those photos hanging on the wall. I travel somewhere and it's like, hell, there is it. That's <laughs> beautiful. And also there are people they they having all the calendars from when I started. I don't have them. I have basically none of them. <laughs> but people have them.
0: That's incredible. It's like
1: I yeah, yeah, I really um I love that.
0: So where would you get one of these calendars over here? What's the best way to get my hands on a calendar from you?
1: Yeah, just send me a message on Facebook, Instagram or email. I have also a web page, which is uh, not updated the best <laughs> way, but uh, there is a contact for me and just send me email and okay. I will get to that as soon as possible. How can I do that in the jungle?
0: OK, so basically Instagram, David Voris Odomka sent this man a message get your hands on one of the most beautiful prints of kayaking available and be a happy person all after. David, thank you very much for this talk. I feel like this room is getting incredibly hot again and I want to go kayaking. So let's do that. And for everybody listening, thank you very much for tuning in again. We're looking forward to come back to you next week. And until then, see you on the river. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you very much for being part of this super cool thing. I appreciate it.
0: Always, buddy, always.